actually didn't know if I would touch on this uh, when I heard that Charles Manson died at the age of 83. I heard Andrew Lawton talking about how, uh, you know, he was one of the most notorious killers out there uh, because of, of course, uh, the life sentences he's serving for his orchestration of those 1969 killings of seven people, including Sharon Tate, who was pregnant at the time, married to director Roman Polanski. And um, one of the things I thought was this is a, this was a real turning point musically uh, for people because, you know, uh, hippies all of a sudden became dangerous. For a long time to the establishment, they were just, you know, dirty hippies that were into the counterculture and a lot of drug-smoking youth. Now hippies became dangerous, and so did the music, you know, potentially that they were associated with. Can you speak to Charles Manson and his creepy connection to music? Yeah, it was in the summer of 1969, just as Woodstock was happening, that things began to turn dark on 60s counterculture. Uh, The big one, of course, was the Tate-LeBianca murders. And then, of course, we end up with Altamont at the end of the year, which really brought the 60s dream down. But Marilyn, uh, Marilyn, see, I've done it already, Uh, Charles Manson uh, was always involved with music. He was a failed songwriter. But not quite so failed at first because he was picked up uh, hitchhiking by Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. And somehow he managed to talk Wilson to taking him and a couple of acolytes in at his house. And they stayed there for a while. Wow. There was some songwriting that went on. Manson fancied himself to be sort of a darker Dylan. And he convinced Wilson somehow to let him audition for Terry Melcher. Terry Melcher was a record producer who worked with uh, the Birds, Paul Revere and the Raiders, and was the only son of Doris Day. And so Manson had an actual audition with him, but Melcher thought there was something wrong about the guy. I mean, Dennis Wilson at that point was was actually afraid of Charles Manson because of the things he was doing. There was They stayed at a place called Spawn Ranch, uh, the Manson crew. And, and one time Wilson was out there, and, and Manson picks up an M16 rifle, and just for the heck of it... Uh, basically cuts a cat in half with it. Wow. And and Wilson's just terrified. Uh, Melcher, terrified. So they turn him down, hoping that he'll just go away. But he didn't. And there is a theory that Manson thought he was going to scare Melcher with his people in that on that August night in 1969. Uh, but that, that turned into the, the Tate murders. But... Uh, the idea, Melcher had actually moved out of the house because his mom said, you're wait, dealing with this guy? Wait a minute. Are you saying that he was going to bring them along on the Tate murders? Uh, no, what, no, no. What, what I was saying is, is that Manson orchestrated the Tate murders right. in order to scare Terry Melcher, who <sighs> was, had been living at that house at 10,050 Cielo Drive. Where but the Tates he, now lived. Yes. Now, um... Oh. They had moved out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melcher and, and his, his his crew had moved out because Doris Day said to her son, uh, I think you better leave. So he left the house and leased it to uh, the uh, the uh, Sharon Tate and Rowan Polanski. Uh, and she was there with Jay Sebring, the um, uh, hairdresser, and uh, Abigail Folger, the coffee heiress, and um, the writer, Victor can't pronounce his last name. Love having you on the show, Alan. I have never heard this side of the story before. Oh, yeah. It's it's really fantastically weird. Yeah. And uh, later, that house uh, ended up being the recording studio that Trent Reznor used to record the Downward Spiral album. He had no idea that he was renting the house where the Tate murders took place. It was only after he was installed and had started recording that he realized where he was recording. 
And if you remember back to the Tate murders, they had uh, the the family people had spread uh, had uh, smeared pigs must die on the living room wall and mm-hmm. Sharon Tate's blood. And Trent Reznor called the studio that he was working in this house, uh, Le Pig Studios, uh, and the house uh, was was fortunately. Um, destroyed in an earthquake in 1995. It no longer exists at 10,050 Seattle Drive. You have connected some very disturbing musical dots here oh, with regards to There's that. more. I mean, the whole helter-skelter thing with the Beatles and this idea that the Beatles were speaking to Manson to spark some kind of race war and that there were messages on the White Album, especially the song... Um, helter-skelter? Helter-skelter. And... and it just gets weirder and weirder. No and one weirder. said stop, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. I'm whole hog in. I know there's people sitting in their driveways right now not getting out of the car. So we have a connection with uh, the Birds and Paul Revere and the Raiders yep. through Terry Melcher. We have a connection with the Beach Boys uh, and Dennis Wilson. They actually recorded a Charles Manson song. He had recorded a song called Ceased to, Ceased to Exist. And the Beach Boys re-recorded that song under a different title that appeared on the B-side of a single in 1968. So he was actually getting royalties from the sale of Beach Boy singles. Then we have, uh, in the 1990s, uh, actually in the 1980s, the Lemonheads covered a song that Mar- uh, that he did uh, based on this album called Lie that was re- released in 1970. The Lemonheads covered a Charles Manson song? Yes, the Lemonheads covered a Charles Manson song. And again, there was a Charles Manson album called Lie that was released in 1970 designed to raise money for his defense fund. And some of those songs have been covered by other people. Like I said, the Lemonheads did it. Uh, Guns N' Roses had an um, album in 1993 called The Spaghetti Incident. They covered a Charles Manson song. It was a hidden track on the CD. So this guy, his, his, his tentacles are all through the music industry. In some very weird, very strange ways. Did you know that he was a neighbor of Mama Cass's? They lived yeah, in the I mean, same building. All lived yes, they all lived within So close... weird. I know. Very strange uh, dude. And, and, and he was so you know, charismatic, hypnotic, and scary that uh, uh, he managed to ingratiate himself, maybe barge into these inner circles uh, you know, living with Dennis Wilson on Sunset Boulevard, with you know, based on the fact that he was a a, a Beatles lyric spouting hippie hitchhiker. Absolutely bizarre and outstanding the information that you brought us today. Alan, you never fail to amaze me with the things that you know. And uh, your, uh, if you want to point people to your website, uh, your blog, you have a great blog. It is uh, the Journal of Musical Things, correct? Uh, it is the Journal of Musical com. There is a story there about my high school friend who became a pen pal with Charles Manson. I have seen the letters. Wow, I can't believe you're leaving. You are leaving us on that. Handwritten letters with his prison number, Vacaville, California. I know we're all heading to a journal of musical things.com in a moment. Thanks so much, Alan. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. Anytime. Cheers. It's Alan Cross for the ongoing history of new music and 102.1 The Edge. I just turned my own mic off. How does that happen? And it's creepy.